Welcome to Fast Asleep. As you know by now, we are not here to waste your time by boring you to sleep. No, we take you completely away from the day's troubles with a classic author's masterpiece. No, it will not bore you. It will engage you until at last you're asleep. Oh, you missed the ending? That's okay. Check it out in the morning. Well, it looks like Fast Asleep has passed the 100 episode mark, and we did it with Robert Louis Stevenson. Now, this episode brings you part three of three. If you're ready for another Robert Louis Stevenson tale, go back to episode 39 and 40 for Stevenson's The Body Snatcher. It's all ready for you. And now, let's tuck in and enjoy the conclusion of A Lodging for the Night. Mm, you have blood on your shoulder, my man, he said. Montigny must have laid his wet right hand upon him as he left the house. Oh, he cursed Montigny in his heart. Uh, well, it was as none of my shedding, he stammered. I had not supposed so, returned his host quietly. A brawl? Well, uh, something of that sort, Vion admitted with a quaver. Perhaps a fellow murdered. Oh, no, not murdered, said the poet, more and more confused. It was all fair play. Yeah, murdered by accident. Oh, and I had no hand in it. God strike me dead, he added fervently. Hmm. One rogue the fewer, I dare say, observed the master of the house. And you may dare to say that agreed Vion, infinitely relieved. As big a rogue as there is between here and Jerusalem. He turned up his toes like a lamb. Oh, but it was a nasty thing to look at. I dare say you've seen dead men in your time, my lord, he added, glancing at the armor. Many, said the old man. I have followed the wars, as you imagine. Vion laid down his knife and fork, which he had just taken up. Were any of them bald? he asked. Uh, yes, and with hair as white as mine. Ah, oh, I don't think I should mind the white so much, said Vion. His was red. And he had a return of his shuddering and tendency to laugh, which he drowned with a great draught of wine. I'm a little put out when I think of it, he went on. I knew him, damn him. And then the cold gives a man fancies, or the fancies give a man cold. I, I don't know which. Have you any money? asked the old man. 
I, I have one white, returned the poet, laughing. I got it out of a dead jade stocking in a porch. Oh, yeah, she was as dead as Caesar, poor wench, and as cold as a church, with bits of ribbon sticking in her hair. Oh, this is a hard winter for wolves and wenches. Oh, and poor rogues like me. I, said the old man, am Enguerrand de la Faye, Signor du Bristo, Bailly du Patatrac. Who and what may you be? Oh, a knight. Villon rose and made a suitable reverence. I am called Francis Villon, he said, a poor master of arts of this university. I know some Latin and a deal of vice. I can make chansons, bayots, laï, vira laï, and rondelles, and uh, I am very fond of wine. I was born in a garret, and I shall not improbably die upon the gallows. I may add, my lord, that from this night forward I am your lordship's very obsequious servant to command. Oh, no servant of mine, said the knight, my guest for this evening and no more. A very grateful guest, said Villon, politely, and he drank in dumb show to his entertainer. Oh, you are shrewd, began the old man, tapping his forehead. Very shrewd. You have learning, you are a clerk, and yet you take a small piece of money off a dead woman in the street. Is it not a kind of theft? Oh, it is a kind of theft, much practiced in the wars, my lord. The wars are the field of honor, returned the old man proudly. There a man plays his life upon the cast. He fights in the name of his lord the king, his lord God, and all their lordships, the holy saints and angels. Put it, said Villon, that I were really a thief. Should I not play my life also, and against heavier odds? For gain, but not for honor. Gain, repeated Villon with a shrug. Gain. Hm. The poor fellow wants supper and takes it. So does the soldier in a campaign. Why, what are all these requisitions we hear so much about? If they are not gain to those who take them, they are lost enough to the others. The men-at-arms drink by a good fire, while the burgher bites his nails to buy them wine and wood. I have seen a good many plowmen swinging on trees about the country. I, I have seen thirty on one elm, and a very poor figure they made. 
And when I asked someone how all these came to be hanged, I was told it was because they could not scrape together enough crowns to satisfy the men at arms. Oh, well, these things are necessity of war, which the low-born must endure with constancy. It is true that some captains drive over hard. There are spirits in every rank not easily moved by pity. And indeed, many follow arms who are no better than brigands. Outlaws. You see, said the poet, you cannot separate the soldier from the brigand. And what is a thief but an isolated brigand with circumspect manners? Now, I steal a couple of mutton chops without so much as disturbing people's sleep. The farmer grumbles a bit, but he sups nonetheless wholesomely on what remains. Now you come up blowing gloriously on a trumpet, take away the whole sheep, and beat the farmer pitifully into the bargain. Now I have no trumpet. I'm only Tom, Dick, or Harry. I'm a rogue and a dog, and hanging is too good for me with all my heart. But just ask the farmer which of us he prefers. Just find out which of us he lies awake to curse on cold nights. Well, look at us, too, said his lordship. I am old strong and honored. If I were turned from my house tomorrow, hundreds would be proud to shelter me. Poor people would go out and pass the night in the streets with their children if I merely hinted that I wished to be alone. And I find you up, wandering, homeless, and picking farthings off dead women by the wayside. I fear no man and nothing. I have seen you tremble and lose countenance at a word. I wait God's summons contentedly in my own house, or if it please, the king, to call me out again upon the field of battle. Now you look for the gallows, a rough, swift death, without hope or honor. Is there no difference between these two? As far as the moon, Villon acquiesced. But if I had been born Lord of Bristoux, and you had been the poor scholar Francis, would the difference have been any the less? Should not I have been warming my knees at this charcoal pan, and would not you have been groping for farthings in the snow? Should not I have been the soldier? And you, the thief? 
a thief, cried the old man. I, a thief. If you understood your words, you would repent them. Villon turned out his hands with a gesture of inimitable impudence. If your lordship had done me the honor to follow my argument, he said, I do you too much honor in submitting to your presence, said the knight. Learn to curb your tongue when you speak with old and honorable men, or someone hastier than I may reprove you in a sharper fashion. And he rose and paced the lower end of the apartment, struggling with anger and antipathy. Villon surreptitiously refilled his cup and settled himself more comfortably in the chair, crossing his knees and leaning his head upon one hand and the elbow against the back of the chair. Oh, he was now replete and warm, and he was in no wise frightened for his host, having gauged him as justly as possible between two such different characters. The night was far spent, and in a very comfortable fashion after all, and he felt morally certain of a safe departure on the morrow. Tell me one thing, said the old man, pausing in his walk. Are you really a thief? Well, I claim the sacred rights of hospitality, returned the poet, but my lord, I am. You are very young, the knight continued. I should never have been so old, replied Vion, showing his fingers, if I had not helped myself with these ten talents. They have been my nursing mothers and my nursing fathers. You may still repent and change. I repent daily, said the poet. There are few people more given to repentance than poor Francis. And as for change... Let somebody change my circumstances. A man must continue to eat, if it were only that he may continue to repent. Well, the change, the change must begin in the heart, returned the old man. My dear Lord, answered Villon, do you really fancy that I steal for pleasure? I hate stealing, like any other piece of work or of danger. My teeth chatter when I see a gallows. But I must eat. I must drink. I must mix in society of some sort. What the devil? Man is not a solitary animal. Make me king's pantler. Make me abbot of Saint-Denis. Make me bali of the patatrac. And then I shall be changed indeed. But as long as you leave me the poor scholar Francis Villon without a farthing, why, of course, I remain the same. Oh, oh the grace of God is all-powerful. Well, I should be a heretic to question it, said Francis. It has made you Lord of Brise, too, and Bali of the Patatrac. It has given me nothing but the quick wits under my hat and these ten toes upon my hands. Hmm. May I help myself to wine? 
I thank you respectfully. By God's grace, oh, you have a very superior vintage. The Lord of Greece, too, walked to and fro with his hands behind his back. Perhaps he was not yet quite settled in his mind about the parallel between thieves and soldiers. Perhaps Vion had interested him by some cross-thread of sympathy. Perhaps his wits were simply muddled by so much unfamiliar reasoning. But whatever the cause, he somehow yearned to convert the young man to a better way of thinking and could not make up his mind to drive him forth again into the street. There is something more than I can understand in this, he said at length. Your mouth is full of subtleties, and the devil has led you very far astray. But the devil is only a very weak spirit before God's truth, and all his subtleties vanish at a word of true honor like darkness at the morning. Now listen to me just once more. I learned long ago that a gentleman should live chivalrously and lovingly to God and the king and his lady. And though I have seen many strange things done, I have still striven to command my ways upon that rule. It is not only written in all noble histories, but in every man's heart. If he will care to read, you speak of food and wine. And I know very well that hunger is a difficult trial to endure, but you do not speak of other wants. You say nothing of honor, of faith to God and other men, of courtesy, of love without reproach. It may be that I am not very wise, and yet I think I am, but you seem to me like one who has lost his way and made a great error in life. You are attending to the little wants, and you have totally forgotten the great and only real ones. Like a, a man who should be doctoring a toothache on the judgment day. Such things as honor and love and faith are not only nobler than food and drink, but indeed I think we desire them more and suffer more sharply for their absence. I speak to you as I think you will most easily understand me. Are you not careful to fill your belly, disregarding another appetite in your heart, which spoils the pleasure of your life and keeps you continually wretched? Villon was 
insensibly nettled under all this sermonizing. You, you think I have no sense of honor, he cried. Oh, I'm poor enough, God knows. It's hard to see rich people with their gloves and you blowing in your hands. An empty belly is a bitter thing, although you speak so lightly of it. If you'd had as many as I, perhaps you would change your tune. Anyway, I am a thief. Make the most of that. But I'm not a devil from hell, God strike me. I would have you know I have an honor of my own, as good as yours, though I don't prat about it all day long, as if it was a God's miracle to have any. It seems quite natural to me, and I keep it in its box until it's wanted. Why now, look you here. How long have I been in this room with you? <laughs> All right, did you not tell me you were alone in the house? And look at your gold plate. You're strong if you like, but you're old and unarmed. And I, I have a knife. What did I want but a jerk of the elbow, and here would have been you with the cold steel in your bowels, and there would have been me linking in the streets with an armful of golden cups. Did you suppose I hadn't wit enough to see that? And I scorned the action. There are your damned goblets, as safe as in a church. And there are you, with your heart ticking as good as new. And here am I, ready to go out again, as poor as I came in, with my one white that you threw in my teeth. And you think I have no sense of honor. God strike me dead. The old man stretched out his right arm. I will tell you what you are, he said. You are a rogue, my man, an impudent and black-hearted rogue and vagabond. I have passed an hour with you. Oh, believe me, I feel myself disgraced. And you have eaten and drunk at my table. And now I am sick at your presence. The day has come, and the night sh bird should be off to his roost. Will you go before or after? Which you please, returned the poet, rising. I believe you to be strictly honorable. He thoughtfully emptied his cup. I wish I could add you were intelligent, he went on, knocking on his head with his knuckles. Age, age. The brain's stiff and rheumatic. The old man preceded him from a point of self-respect. Villon followed, whistling with his thumbs in his girdle. God pity you, said the Lord of Greece, too, at the door. Goodbye, Papa, returned Villon. <gasps> with a yawn. Many thanks for the cold mutton. The door closed behind him, 
the dawn was breaking over the white roofs. A chill, uncomfortable morning ushered in the day. Bion stood and heartily stretched himself in the middle of the road. A very dull old gentleman, he thought. Hmm. I wonder what his goblets may be worth. Good night.